0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang, and it's time for a Deep Dive episode, and this one focuses on a hot-button environmental topic in the bike industry, and that is recycling carbon fiber. Now, interestingly enough, this story begins with tubeless tire sealant. It was just a few weeks ago that Silca debuted its so-called Ultimate Tire Sealant, which, as you'd expect from Silca, includes some intriguing technical features. One of those is the inclusion of this stuff called pyrolyzed carbon fiber to help the latex solution plug holes. Silca owner Josh Portner told me that he's getting this special carbon fiber material from a company in Tennessee called CFR, short for, very imaginatively, carbon fiber recycling, and that the pyrolyzed carbon fiber is the end product of a novel process that CFR uses to turn both finished carbon fiber products and uncured scrap into something that can actually be reused. I know, I know, you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, wait, what? But I thought carbon fiber wasn't recyclable. This is exactly why what CFR is doing is so interesting. What we commonly refer to as carbon fiber is more precisely described as carbon fiber reinforced polymer, or CFRP, basically plastic whose material properties have been somehow augmented by the addition of carbon fiber to form a composite. Historically, it's actually been possible to recycle carbon fiber, It's just that it hasn't been economically or practically feasible to do so. Basically, it took more to recycle the stuff than was worthwhile, so really hardly anyone did it. In contrast, CFR says its unique process is not only economical, for all parties involved in fact, but also profitable. The whole process almost sounds a little too good to be true, so I wanted to hear more about what CFR is doing and where this whole technology is headed. And so, with us today on NerdAlert to tell us a lot more is CFR co-founder and director of licensing and sales, Tim Spawn. Tim, thanks so much for being on the NerdAlert podcast today. I appreciate you making the time all the way from Tennessee.
1: No problem at all. I appreciate you asking me to come out and talk to you.
0: Yeah, off off uh, just just before we started recording, we were just sharing Long Island stories. Started talking to Tim, and right away I could tell where you were from because I think I think yeah. it takes one to know one, right?
1: Yeah, I get it all the time. It's uh, you know, when I when I get angry, my uh, my friends tell me I sound like uh, Tony Soprano. So, oh man, yeah.
0: Well, well, we'll we'll try not to keep you out. We'll try not to make you angry on this hey. one. I don't, I don't think I don't think I'm going to say anything to make you angry anyway. Let's put it that. I don't way. think so. This is
1: this is a subject I love, so I'm good. I'm happy. Cool, cool. All right. Well, we're we're talking about
0: re- uh, recycling carbon fiber. You are the Director of Licensing and Sales of Carbon Fiber Recycling. That's the actual name of the company. We'll just call it CFR for short. Um, brilliant Google SEO name, by the way. Very Thank well you. Done. Thank you
1: very much. Give myself a high five for that one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so the topic of carbon fiber recycling is definitely a pretty pretty hot one, especially in light of uh, all this attention on sustainability and everything. And certainly in the cycling industry, there's a lot of carbon fiber being used. Um, do you have any sense as to how big a problem this is in general, not just in the bike industry? Like how much carbon fiber is used?
1: Well, it, it, it fluctuates back and forth. So certain industries are much better at controlling their waste because they have um, higher tolerances than they have. Uh, so, so like the uh, aerospace industry, the aerospace industry, when they have um, pre-preg rolls and they have things that make the inside of the airplane, that has to be at a specific You know, uh, expiration dates, specific temperature. It's got to be housed a certain way because I'll tell you right now, the last thing you want to do is go 500 miles in the air and 500 miles per hour up in the air on something that's expired or right about to go bad. So they have very big dates on that. The sporting industry has uh, much higher higher tolerances for what they can use. So their waste is much lower. So, for instance, in the uh, aerospace industry, basically you can uh, hit almost a a one-to-one ratio. For every one plane they build, they could have one plane worth of waste. Dear God, it's it's huge. Now, don't get me wrong. You're going to hear all different types of statistics and things along those lines. And nobody is going to stand up and go, yes, I wasted this much material this year. So you really have to just, you know, look at it and see what happens. Now, there are companies that have much better, you know, uh, streamline of their waste products in the bike industry. Uh, you're probably looking at about a ten percent to fifteen percent waste ratio okay. in in the market there as well. You know, it's just because their their pieces are easier to make. So when you think of like how the pieces are made, there's there's not as much waste as there would be in a in an aerospace industry. Gotcha. And and I
0: guess to be clear, um, we're we're not just talking about waste material in the in the production process that you're dealing with, right? Because because you, you're you're recycling finished product that is just sort of at the end of his life cycle right
1: the cool part about this is we can recycle everything across the board so we can recycle your airplane so um we'll just take an airplane i'm gonna i'll go through the steps of that if you don't mind me uh taking second. yeah sure of course take a take a wing of an airplane the wing has aluminum it has copper that goes through it to deflect the lightning strikes then it has carbon fiber on the inside of it and then it has resin that holds everything together so our process, we have a shredder that could uh, take a Jeep Grand Cherokee and chop that thing up in about 10 minutes, which don't get me wrong, we, we have a, another business on here, which we've, we've definitely experimented with that. And it was a lot of fun. So, <laughs> yeah. but we could take that wing and we send it through our system and our system will separate out the aluminum, we'll separate out the copper and it'll take those and it will recycle those. So that, that gets sent back into the scrap industry. Then we have the resin and we have the carbon fiber. When the resin goes through our system, we use a a method called pyrolysis, which is heating in the absence of oxygen. So we send that through our system, and what we developed is a way to capture everything. So the the resins, the glues, that all comes off as, uh, as the carbon fiber goes through, and we capture that, and we actually use that back as fuel for our system and our facility. So we can run our facility completely off the fuel from your garbage. Now we actually have a uh, Pratt and Whitney jet engine that we start up with uh, with people's garbage. We can start it up right there on your site. It, is that engine like
0: just to have for fun?
1: Like why, why yeah, do you have? it? Yeah, yeah. I we like we like to have fun in this company. My partner, um, I call him uh, Emmett Brown from Back to the Future. <laughs> you know uh, his name is his name is Doug Griffin. The guys the guy's a genius. Um, he's a commercial pilot and he loves to tinker with things. So one day when we were sitting there messing with the fuel. He went out and he bought a, uh, a jet engine. He restored the jet engine, fixed the whole entire thing to work again, and then we capture the fuel, which could either be methane or petroleum. The methane runs our, our reactor and our system, and the petroleum is a byproduct that we have of that. We can refine that, and we start up the jet engine. Yeah, he uh, his mind thinks on a different level. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun to watch. Oh, man. He also… He also turned a, a mini jet engine into a leaf blower. The yard was <laughs> clean in like two things. <laughs> oh, I, I, feel,
0: oh I, I, feel, I feel like we always need to do another podcast on the, on this stuff. Um, like,
1: yeah, yeah, he's 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 a, an interesting character. Interesting. So.
0: Well, okay, so so just to just to recap, um, so so your your system that you use to to process the the carbon fiber. You said you can basically just process just about anything carbon fiber, whether it's Cured or uncured, it it
1: doesn't make a difference if it's thermoset thermoplastic. It doesn't matter what the carbon fiber is in. We cracked the code on how to extract the resin and return a short chopped fiber in, back into the industry.
0: Okay, so you're taking you're taking the project you're taking the the stuff, yep. running it through the shredder, separating out the metals and whatever, yep. and then taking the carbon fiber and the resins, you are heating it using this pyrolysis project uh, pyrolysis uh, procedure you're heating it in the in the absence of oxygen and then you are capturing all the the, the vapor the gas oh, vapor i guess or well
1: the it the the best part about that is normally that would be stuff that'd be released into the atmosphere that would be something that would be hazardous to the environment because we're capturing it we don't have those we don't have the harmful you know um, harmful fumes going up into the atmosphere we take everything and we use it all over again
0: So all right, so all that you use that it's it also you said kind of self-feeds the process to kind of keep that process going. We
1: have to use we use natural gas when we get when we start the machine up. Okay. Because you gotta get it balanced, you gotta get it running and get everything going. Once we get everything going, we switch over to methane. And then once we have it on methane, we can run the whole entire system without using an ounce of outside fuel. So we're we're recycling the carbon fiber. Where recycling the aluminums, the metals, the cardboard tubes, the paper inside, the plastics, everything, all of that stuff gets separated and recycled. The cardboard, the, the, I'm sorry, the carbon fiber itself will get broken down as it goes, it travels through our system. As it goes through that system, it will turn into methane and petroleum. The resins will turn into to one or the other, and that gets used in our system to make our system completely sustainable, and uh, and we can basically run completely off the grid. You'll have to excuse me if,
0: you, if if this comes across as being almost kind of too good to be true, right?
1: Well, you're more than welcome to come check it out. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it, 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 only, it only took us 12 years to get here. So, you know, it was an overnight success, you know? Right, right, uh, right. But um, so, what happens is plastics have, uh, have energy in them. And when you're able to capture that energy, and then these are all patents that we have on this machine. We actually are able to take that energy and revert it back into the system. So that's how that works.
0: Hmm. So, so what are the end products that you that you end up with? You said you have uh, like a short chopped carbon fiber. Um, is that basically your main product?
1: The short chopped carbon fiber is all that we can make because when okay. products come in, so take a, a giant prepreg roll from the aerospace industry. I mean, the the roll is um, you know say three feet you know wide by you know five hundred feet long. We have to send that through a machine and size it down smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and, smaller. and uh, that's. That's roughly where the sweet spot is, because that spot allows us to take that fiber and send it into different industries, because it's a, a, a length that a lot of companies use. So that's why we chose to go that one. Plus, we can we can always go smaller, you know. But going larger is tough because what you get, what you bring in, is what you get out. So depending upon what material we get in determines the length that we can get out on the back end.
0: Hmm. So what what then happens to this short? Uh, this short chopped carbon fiber, because I think most of the people who are listening to this podcast right now, they're used to their carbon fiber. Pro- well, I guess the carbon fiber products that they're most accustomed to, they're they're going to be made with long carbon fibers. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So this stuff is kind of just more like like short little short little bits, uh, that yeah. sort of thing. How how long are these fibers? Quarter inch.
1: It's on. Okay. A, it's it's going to be a random length, quarter inch uh, fiber. So six millimeters is right around a quarter inch. Now, so it may be, you know, 4.6 millimeters to say 6.6 millimeters, somewhere in that range, Um, just because that's the the way that we're not getting anything in that is in perfect, complete straight line where we can chop it exactly the sizes that it should be. So we cut it, and that is going to be a a range of where it falls into, which when you think about the usage of it, um, when you build a road, you know, you look at a road, they put down big rocks first, right? They put down the first layer of big rocks, then they put down the next layer of medium-sized rocks, then they put down the next layer of small rocks, and they compress them all together. And they fit perfectly together, and they make a good solid road base to pour the asphalt on top of. Think of it the same way. If you have a a 4.6 millimeters, a 6 millimeters, a 5.7 millimeters, and they all intertwine together, it actually makes it stronger than if it was all just completely perfectly straight.
0: Hmm. Interesting. All right, so then… So then, I guess, who are your biggest customers for this sort of stuff? Who's, who's buying short, recycled, chopped carbon fiber?
1: The scary part here is everything is sold out of our Tennessee facility for the next 10 years. So yeah, that's I had the same face too when uh, when I was able to put that all together. The compounding world, so the people that make different things, make the small little widgets for automotive parts and things along those lines, they're buying our material. And then also the concrete industry. So the concrete industry is is fascinating on, uh, on what we've been able to achieve. So um, first off, uh, you know, you, we were just talking about Long Island, New York. So, uh, so we'll get into, uh, JFK. Okay. So, or LaGuardia, we'll, we'll stick with Long Island. We'll stick with LaGuardia. So LaGuardia in the wintertime, they, they plow their runways with all the de-icing and the snow and all the nastiness on it. And they push it right into the Hudson every single time, boom, right into the Hudson over and over. Oh, and over. that's awful. Yeah. Don't ever eat a fish out of the Hudson. So <laughs> I, I wasn't going to anyway, believe me. <laughs> so. And, and what we were able to do is we were able to take our carbon fiber, put it into the concrete, which makes it stronger, and then also electrify it so it heats up. It can heat up to almost 42 degrees. Now, say, you know, JFK, or I'm sorry, LaGuardia gets a foot of snow and they have to shut down the airport. They're losing millions and millions of dollars. Now, also slip and falls, workmen's comp with people hurting their backs, things along those lines. Now you can flip a switch and the whole entire thing will just completely melt out. And it also lasts longer because the carbon fiber makes it stronger, the
0: concrete. Right, because then at that point, you have a, you essentially have a fiber-reinforced composite that just happens to be concrete with a, with a matrix.
1: And then the next level of things that we're working on in the, con- the concrete industry is, um, think of a uh, condo complex or apartment building. We found a way to lightweight, soundproof, and fireproof concrete. So now, right now, concrete has the rebar in it. It's not soundproof. You take a blowtorch to it, it'll completely disintegrate we found a way to take a panel which could be that thick not even an inch thick put it up against the wall it'll be soundproof fireproof and uh, and then they could actually be insulation for the whole entire building
0: so is this stuff that your company is producing directly or is-
1: these are these are patents that that we're we're finishing up right now
0: man so Everything's sold for the next ten years. That's that's pretty good. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, things can go south in a heartbeat, but um, you know, we have uh, we have contracts for the next ten years for our materials.
0: Okay. Uh, is the 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 runway thing at Laguardia. I mean, this is obviously kind of kind of a tangent. Considering we're supposed to be talking about bike stuff, but the the runway thing at, at Laguardia is are those already online?
1: Uh, Where we have to take that through the FAA. Okay. Because um, they have to approve that there, but um, it's 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 happening. Trust me. It's it, you, you're going to sit on a plane in about five years from now, and you're going to be like, "Huh? I wonder if this runway's got carbon fiber in it." And and it probably will. Just Interesting. Well, the amount of money that it saves the airport is insane. I would bet.
0: I would bet, and like time and equipment and all that other stuff, <laughs> and
1: to be able to land the planes, not have to revert. You know, divert them to. You know, if you're coming into New York, if you get diverted, you're heading up to Boston. You know, and then you have to find your way home from Boston.
0: Right. Right. Man. So is, is this the sort of thing that you know, people have stuff like this in, in luxury homes and that sort of thing on sidewalks and driveways and that sort of thing already. Well, but.
1: The, the side, the, what you're talking about there is uh, is hydro, and they put they put uh, um, well. electrical sheets in to heat up the like their little bathrooms, right, and things like that. You know, um, it's very different with a carbon fiber into concrete. So um, the, the the way that it works is is much more energy efficient, um, and then also too makes it much 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 stronger.
0: Right. I, you know, I, I definitely understand that it's not the same thing, but what I'm just saying, like, like people already use uh, kind of like materials that have heating elements already built into them. So would this be an alternative to that?
1: um yeah you're not really gonna find it in a house it's not gonna heat up the same way as a house like you know you could sit there and have your towel holder where it's like oh wow this is 62 degrees feel oh it's so nice and warm you're not gonna get that same effect just you have to pump a lot of electricity through it It, it's it's not gonna be good for for housing in my opinion don't get me wrong you can put it in your driveway you can do things along those lines you know being out in colorado i mean you guys get you know an inch or two of snow a year right
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, so to have something like that for a driveway or things like that would be great. Um, also, too, with foundations for building, because you're able to make the concrete stronger, you don't have to make the foundation as big for support. So there's a lot of benefits to it. Carbon fiber, carbon fiber opens up a lot of worlds where, like glass fiber, um, glass fiber breaks down with UV rays, so you can't use it for printing a house. Like you know, they're they're 3D printing houses right now. You put carbon fiber into a 3D printed house, the structure is perfect and it'll stay. You put glass fiber into a 3D printed house, the light, the sun will deteriorate the glass fiber and it'll break it down over time. Hmm.
0: So how is this stuff being used in sporting equipment then?
1: It depends on what you're making. So like if you were looking to make a a racket or something along those lines, or um, you wouldn't make the, the bike frame, but you can make the pedals, you can make the... All the all the small attachment pieces off of it because the the bike frame would require uh, long continuous fiber, so it's it's not going to be used again. It's not going to be used for the the main support pieces of the bike, but it could be used for all the accessory pieces.
0: Hmm. Okay, so maybe it it maybe wouldn't be quite as structurally efficient as a long fiber composite, but as compared to like an like an injected molded plastic that doesn't have it in there. I mean, like you have. You have fiber-reinforced plastics already, but this would be sort of something that you could use as one of those ingredients to make for a much stronger material.
1: Yes. Is, is yeah. that what you're saying? Like, um, like, uh, I don't mean to reach above you here, but this right here, okay, here is uh, Kevin Harvick's race car. All right? So this is, is the carbon fiber that we took out of his car. So that metal there, I mean, this is the carbon fiber mixed in. This is super strong, and that's the aluminum of his car. So you can make tons of different things that you want to do it. So that was actually his vehicle. With regards to sporting goods, I mean anything that that uses a chopped fiber. I mean anything that's a molded part, you could use, and, and you can make it with the chopped fiber. Now, the the long fiber gives it the super strong strength, so that's what carbon fiber is known for. the The, the short fiber adds to the strength and just you know makes it more lightweight as well. Okay. So the, you know the, the long fiber is ultimately the best for uh, for. For bikes and rackets and, and things and the skis and stuff like that. But when it comes to like making the binding of the ski, you can make the binding of the ski with with the, the chop fiber.
0: Yeah, actually I'm pretty sure the, the bindings that I have now used use some of that in there. Um do you have any I'm not sure you're at liberty to disclose this, but I mean are there are there bike companies that you have as clients right now who are yes. buying this stuff from you?
1: Now uh, buying it, no. Um, but recycling with us, yes. Well we do have okay. we do have one. We we have okay so let me take that back. We have companies that are recycling with us now. Uh, we don't allow glass fiber into the facility. Glass fiber and carbon fiber have a very similar density, so when we try to separate them, they don't separate out. So if I'm trying to take this fiber and I have to sell it to say Ford Motor Company to make the Explorer dashboard, if it has glass fiber in it, it's contaminated. They can't use it. So we have to be very careful. Certain bike companies that we work with um, have no um, carbon, no glass fiber in their carbon fiber frames. Some do, some don't. So. We work with some of those people there, and then we have uh, a couple of companies that have taken our product and and done you know different things for the bike industry. Uh, Silica makes a uh, a foam that goes inside that has recycled carbon fiber in it that stops the that when a tire has a hole puncture, it cure it fixes the tire in two seconds. Boom, done. Yeah, we we, right. were,
0: we were just talking about that. Yep. That, yeah, well, that's, that's how we. That's, that's what we. That's how we got here.
1: Yeah, that's an absolutely incredible product, and and that's just one of the uses for it. Thinking outside the box. Because of the cost savings of using a recycled product against a virgin product, you're allowed to put it in things that you normally wouldn't. So that solution there, you know, is so much better because they're using carbon fiber because the price allows it to go into that market.
0: What kind of cost savings are we talking about here? Like, if someone were to have to buy the virgin stuff versus getting the recycled stuff from you, like, how much would they save?
1: I can't give you exact numbers on on everything, but I can give you percentages. Um, sure. Well, okay, so. Virgin carbon fiber uh, runs anywhere. If you're buying it on the spot market, and I'm talking like you're buying it, uh, someone who's like trying to dump it out and get rid of it, you could be anywhere from fifteen to twenty dollars a pound. So we are going to be roughly, I would say, one eighth that price.
0: Oh, so that's a big difference.
1: Huge. Yep. And also, two, you're giving it a second life. So you know, a lot of companies out there are being really pushed. For what's their sustainability? You know, what's the sustainability? What's their what's their goal to uh, to the environment? And uh, this allows a lot of companies to either a use a recycled product or b just recycle because we're not asking you to buy your product back. You know, so you can recycle with us all day long and get rid of your waste. Because honestly, you don't want a recycled carbon fiber on the outside shell of an airplane. No, you don't want that. It's okay in your seat, but it's not okay in the in the outside of the airplane. So the aerospace industry can't use it like that. So we don't have any requirements for, them to, for people to buy it back because we have other outlets for it to go.
0: Okay. Um, so you said you, you, have, you have bike companies that are, uh, I guess, scrap suppliers to you and uh, not necessarily customers. Um, how does that whole process work? And actually, I mean, are, are you able to talk about who, who these customers are? Can, can you talk about that?
1: Not, no, but I can, I can guarantee you, and I don't even know what bike you have sitting at your house but i can almost guarantee you that that we recycle your bike. <laughs>
0: Interesting. So so there so you're saying there are quite a few that are using your services now already.
1: Yeah. Well, th- th- what i love about the bike industry is their forward thinking and also to their environmental thinking. So they want to do the right thing. So they've they've gone out of their way to do the right thing, which is which is great. You know, so they they've it's it's been a we have a good relationship with the biking world.
0: Okay. So just like a a truck shows up or a shipping container or shows up oh. or something that has a bunch of stuff in it or how's it work?
1: <laughs> pretty close. So the way everything works is, uh, you know, of course they would contact me and I'd ask them to send me a sample, you know, so I got a small sample of what they're looking to recycle. Then from there, it's either approved or not approved. So if I open it up and I find out there's glass fiber in it, I'm not going to approve it. If there's no glass fiber in it, then we'll take in the bike frames. And that's exactly how it happens. We tell them, okay, Figure out uh, how much waste you have. We have a, a very simple contract that basically you know, breaks down what can be recycled and what can't be recycled. And then uh, we open up the doors, and they just send truckloads when they can. Hmm.
0: Uh, are you able to provide any sort of sense as to kind of what sort of volume of stuff? So, like your biggest by company supplier, your biggest bike company customer, for example. Are you able to supply an idea as to like how much product they're supplying to you? About
1: 300,000 pounds. No way. We recycle 4 million pounds a year out of our Tennessee facility. So, you know, um, you have to remember that there's the oops factor. There are the returns. There are the, hey, uh, I need to drill a hole for the brake lines. Oh, I drilled them in the wrong spot. Frame shot. So, you know, they want to they want to give you the best product possible. So they want to make sure it's perfect when it gets to you. So if it's not perfect, it ends up in my shop.
0: And then, so this is stuff that you're buying from these companies? No, I'm guessing you're...
1: No, no, we don't. We don't buy anything, so we don't buy the carbon fiber. Our recycling is free, so there's no charge for us to recycle. We ask the companies to ship it to us. That's the only fee that they have is to take the product and ship it to us. So you have a choice. Now you got. You know, people look at it and they, go, oh my God, you're not paying for this. You're not paying for that. You have a choice. You can send it to the landfill, or you can ship it to us. Now, companies that are close to us, within say a thousand miles, you know, a lot of times they figure that it's actually cheaper to send it to us then send the truck to the landfill. So do the right thing and send it to the recycling facility. Now, there are companies that will ship all the way from California to Tennessee because they want to do the right thing. You know, and that, that's a cost on them to go ahead and ship it to us. But then at the same time, when they get asked that question by their clients, you know, what are you doing with your carbon fiber waste? They can actually look at them and say they have zero carbon fiber waste in their facility. They're gonna get the contract. The other people who aren't doing it, they're not.
0: Uh, I I got to say I'm starting to wonder right now if, if if CFR is like on the stock exchange or something like that. you're <laughs> yeah. saying right now that you're no, getting, we're, you're, we're, you're, yeah. but you're saying that you're getting your raw materials from from com- from companies for free essentially, mm-hmm. and then you're able to go through this process. Obviously, there's a cost involved in that, but then you end up with a product that you can sell to other people.
1: Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. Like uh, you know, this we're we're in the the over over ten million dollars in the facility that we built here. So there's a huge cost of what it costs us to get to this point, which is understandable. Um, you know, we're, we're uh, there's, there's four of us that own the company and uh, we, we self-funded ourselves.
0: Wow, well done. Um, can you give me a sense as to how big this this facility is? Like, so what, I mean, how, how big are these machines? Like, what what does this whole thing look like?
1: Uh, the facility itself is 55,000 square feet broken down in between two buildings. We have a 20,000 and we have a, a 35,000 square feet uh, foot building. The 35,000 square foot building has all of our major machinery in it. Uh, that machinery probably takes up, it's say ten to twelve thousand square feet, and then our thermal distortion unit is on the other, on the outside of the building, so it's completely on the outside. That thermal distortion unit is probably about uh, two hundred feet uh, in size. Um, it's huge. It's uh, one hundred seventy thousand pounds, and um, it's it's got all the bells and whistles on it that help us, you know, capture all the fuel and everything along those lines as well. So right. uh, that's, 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 that's where that
0: pyro... That's where that pyrolysis process is yeah, happening, right?
1: Pyrolysis, yep, is exactly where that, that all takes place. So we okay. go in the building, out of the building, and then we have, um, you know, different. you know, in the 20,000 square foot building, we have uh, a line set up there for uh, for milling and things along those lines. And that's, uh, you know, that's in, in that building itself. And that also helps us uh, with extra storage in case we have a lot of trucks come in at one time. So, yeah.
0: Uh, so it sounds like this process is quite scalable then,
1: right? Uh, we can We can scale it up any way we want. Um, You know, we we do offer licensing. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take this facility. We don't want to own facilities all over the United States and all over the world. So what we want to do is we want to take this concept, license it out to someone who would be able to sit there and run it, and they would be able to put one in. Say they put one up in Michigan. The auto industry is gonna, you know, eat it up like crazy. You put it up in in the the Everett Washington area. There's a, you know, a couple aerospace companies up there. Just one or two. Those guys would be able to to recycle there. You put it somewhere out in Arizona. You'll get all the California Arizona area recycling as well. So there's a bunch of places that this could be put to uh, to recycle and and conquer the waste problem that we have.
0: So comparatively speaking, it it sounds like the bike industry is a pretty small customer. Well, you said the, you said there are no bike customers that are buying the chopped fiber. From They're Stephanie, not buying right? it at this moment. No.
1: no, I mean don't get me wrong. Okay. Besides, besides the the, the tire, um, mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 tire fix. Right. Besides silica. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Besides silica. That's that's really it. I, you know, I didn't really focus on the the bike industry for for sales. You know, because um, we're we're tiny. Well, you know, it, it's it's <laughs> not because you're not tiny. It's just we're just talking about humongous industry, you know, so it's not it's not like, you know, the bike industry is all tiny and small. Forget about it. But when you're talking about the aerospace industry and the automotive industry, the pressure vessel and the wind industry, those industries are massive. So, you know, it's it, you're getting a little bit overshadowed, but there's there's no reason why I, I would not turn away a bike you know company at all, because I think it would be absolutely awesome if we can make the the brake pedals or something out of the carbon fiber would be great.
0: Okay. Um, Is this, so you said this is scalable. You're looking at licensing, uh, you know, setting up various locations, that sort of thing. Um, Is this something that, say you had a company that was producing a fair bit of either scrap or kind of like warranty return or whatever carbon fiber. And let's say they did also use a fair bit of chopped carbon fiber themselves for that, that sort of molded carbon fiber product. Is there a reason why, or I guess, would it be technically feasible for them to have a facility like this in-house? Like, Is that something that you would license? Like, Could could they do that? Could they recycle it in in their own property?
1: Um, I'll take the wind industry, for example. The wind industry makes a, a thing called a plank, and that plank is what gets sandwiched inside those big blades. So the manufacturers of those, they have a good amount of waste, and they also, a lot of those companies are very big and have multiple other avenues off of that. Some of them will produce a, a, you know, another chopped fiber. They'll produce other different products where they could take this, put a facility you know, somewhere in there. Now, they may not want to do four million pounds a year, but you scale back the size of the reactor. You put in a two million pound a year reactor out of the facility. They could run everything from there or they go ahead and they bump it up. They go to a nine million pound uh, you know, um, reactor a year and then they take in all the waste from their whole entire company and recycle it in one location. So the options are there for them to do anything. It can go scale down and it can scale up very easily. What we did in the Tennessee facility is we rated all of our equipment to be able to scale up humongously. So we have the ability to uh, – we do 4,000 pounds an hour through our, our small equipment at first in the, the front end of our equipment. So now that's – that's we run that on a on a 24-hour – not 24-hour day. I'm sorry. On a five-day work week, eight hours, that's how we're able to process 4 million pounds. But if you wanted to scale that up, you go ahead and you run three shifts from there, and you can recycle – endless amounts of material
0: uh if i'm understanding correctly cfr is not the only company and certainly not the first one to have some sort of method for recycling carbon fiber right yep
1: um
0: what what do other methods look like and what are other people doing
1: okay there's um this so there's another company that uh started out with bike frames and they had a batch system so what uh we have a continuous flow reactor so we recycle 600 pounds an hour 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year that's the system we have in tennessee (laughs) A batch reactor is basically you take a whole bunch of material and you put it into a giant oven and you hit the button and you come back two days later. And it's like, wow, look, it's clean. you know So that that's a batch reactor. So there's a company that does something similar to that. Then there's a, a wet solvent process. A wet solvent process is when you take it and you put it into like an acid bath and then it eats away the, the whatever resin or any kind of uh, sizing or anything that's on the material and returns it back to its raw carbon fiber form. So that's another another way to recycle carbon fiber as well. Okay. And I guess the,
0: the, the last method that you talked about, the solvent one, that sounds like it probably produces quite a bit of waste then.
1: Um, you know, they're, they're like making, What do you
0: do with that solvent?
1: There's, I don't know enough about it to speak clearly on it, but um, I know that there's ways to recycle that solvent. Um, I know that there are ways to clean it and use it again. Uh, they're coming with ways to be able to take the resin and try to use the resin again as well. So they're making great strides with that. Um, it's just, it's, it's not my wheelhouse. I, I only know, I only know from just a couple guys in the industry that, that do it. Um, you know, how they, you know, yeah, they're, they're stuck with, with contaminated resin. I'm trying. I'm Fair, not enough, fair this, enough. Yeah. Um, so it, at least
0: in the bike industry, most, most of the carbon fiber products that are produced are produced overseas in Asia, you know, China, Taiwan. Uh, I, I can't remember what other countries like, you know, Vietnam, that sort of thing. I think, um, do you have any? Well, it sounds like right now your only facility is in Tennessee, right? Currently, yes. So, is this the sort of thing that you could potentially have over there? Because my understanding is most of the scrap that is produced over there is just thrown away.
1: It's all thrown away. Uh, yes, we're um, we're working with a couple of people to put licensing in uh, France, Germany, and Taiwan as we speak.
0: Wow. Well things are things are going pretty well then.
1: <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a little busy but it's, uh, it's it's a good thing it's you know don't get me wrong these things are going to take years and years and years to, to come together but uh, this is the things that we're working on is to find a way to license this correctly with a good partners you know trustworthy partners that were able to sit there and take our technology and just stop this because the material that's going into the landfill this isn't like a banana peel this isn't like a newspaper where eventually the weather is going to wear it down. This stuff's going to be here for five thousand years. It's it's not going to go away. That bike frame. Then you said, okay, this has a, a nick in it. It's broken. It's done. You throw it into the landfill. Your great grandkids, grandkids, are going to be the ones that are going to be fishing that out of the out of the landfill.
0: And it'll look exactly the same still,
1: because it's not going to break down. It's just not, you know. I mean, that's that's the the beauty of carbon fiber. It lasts.
0: Right, and also the downside, as it turns out.
1: Yep, there's good. Um,
0: as far as your customers go, or sorry. As far as your sort of raw material suppliers go, um, you know, you are talking, you are dealing with bigger companies. Stuff is arriving in, in big shipments, that sort of thing. Um, a, a lot of this stuff that ends up in landfills, however, are, are end consumers that maybe have like one frame, two frames, whatever, some wheels, whatever. Um, do you have any sort of system, or do you envision that there might be certain sort of system where you might be able to take contributions on like a onesie-twosie basis, or is that just uh, is that just unfortunately not worthwhile?
1: Well, it's it. There's good and bad with that. And it also really depends on the on the actual individual. So it would depend on someone like yourself. You know, do you which way do you want this to go? Do you want it to go left or do you want it to go right? You know, we 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 deal with all different size companies. So we'll have companies that send us five hundred pounds a year, which is fine. That's great. You know, and then we have companies that are uh, small. Like uh, there'll be a, like groups of bike shops that get together and then they throw all their stuff into one bin and then they send it to us. So, that's different ways to do it. Um, it. It's tough because I get approached all the time by someone who has, uh, like, a, you know, I'll give you an example. Of, you know, two weeks ago, I had a, an email that came through and someone had a, a carbon fiber hood that they wanted to recycle. And the first words out of their mouth is, I have a carbon fiber hood. How much is it worth? And then I told them that, you know, I'm sorry, we do not purchase, you know, carbon fiber. If you choose to send it to us to recycle, you know, here's the address. Please send it to us. And then that was the last I've ever heard of that person. Right. You know, so, right. it really it falls on the person themselves. You know, and what they and what they want to do, and when, how they want to handle it. But we can't, you know, we can't go out and pay for shipping for every single company out there in the world, or, or at all, because if we pay for shipping, you think about how much material comes in. Uh, take a, a a box of prepreg, you know, material. So you have the box. The box weighs say ten pounds. Then you have styrofoam on the inside. Then you have a twenty pound piece of cardboard core. You have maybe forty pounds of carbon fiber inside that, wrapped in paper. So if we paid say, a dollar a pound for something like that, we wouldn't be here right now.
0: Right, because you're paying a dollar per pound gross when what you really want is the dollar per pound net, which isn't, yeah, which which isn't nearly it, as much.
1: And that's gonna, and then also, too, you got to remember when we take out all the resins. So if, if most carbon fiber has a 60-40 mix, so 40% resin, 60% carbon fiber. So if it's 10 pounds, legitimately it's six pounds of carbon fiber. So we have to dig through all of that to get to a point to build a facility to be able to process it to be able to send it back to be used again.
0: Okay, so you're saying that it, it, it is feasible and it is something that you occasionally do, but it certainly is a lot. It, it certainly isn't nearly as cost effective on your end.
1: Well, we don't. We'll, we'll, we'll never pay for shipping. Shipping. No, no, not, I,
0: I understand. But but even still, like it's very different if someone shows up with like a whole shipping container versus scrap material versus if someone sends a box of like you know five frames or something. To be it. honest
1: with you, if if someone sent a box of five frames, I'd value that so much. Because that person actually stopped and said, I want to do the right thing. And they sent us the frames. I think I th- that that would – I have no problem with that whatsoever because that is someone who is probably sitting there with his kid saying, hey, we have to recycle. This is what we need to do. This is how we make a better future and put it in a box and send it to us. I, that that would make me so happy to see that because I know that we're heading in the right direction. So
0: if someone really did want to do that, then they, they could yes, send absolutely. it to you? Like, absolutely. Okay. And then that, and then I guess you'd still have to go through the whole process of kind of verifying what's in it to make sure there's yeah. no glass fiber in it, like doing all that, right? I, mean,
1: I would. Uh, they would. They would be treated the exact same way as a, as a, a supplier of raw material on a large scale. We would go through the small little testing of it. I'd ask them a couple of questions and everything, and then if they sent it through, that'd be great. You know, because again, if if that happens a whole bunch of times across the United States and even anywhere, if that happens all over the place, and I'm very big on education, so. If we literally start doing that and we get in the habit of doing that and we teach our kids to do something like that, there's a better future for us.
0: It wasn't that long ago when certainly there wasn't any recycling at all. Like none of us used to think about it. Um, and certainly much more recently, we've had things like, you know, plastic bag recycling or like, you know, we have these, um, I'm not sure what the wrappers are called, but like, you know, like dog food bags and, like, goo packets and that sort of thing, like the, the whole TerraCycle company. So we, we now have a bunch of places where you can take those sorts of very specialized multi-layer wrappings and and drop them off somewhere, and then those get sent off. Um, is that the sort of setup where you might be able to – is that something that you might be able to set up somewhere at some point? Like, um, is there, like you might have that kind of program in place?
1: You know, I, you know, it depends on how it all plays out. You know, this is, uh, again, facility number one. But, um, mm. you know, there could be in-time hubs. You know that could be put in place where all the material comes to this one hub or something along those lines, or or comes into certain you know locations. So I I don't know. Um, I have no problem at all with somebody wanting to come down and drop off something that they had. You know, um, but uh, you know I don't know how many people are in uh, Tazewell, Tennessee, rolling around with uh, carbon fiber in their backyard. (laughs) Yeah, so
0: right, but I mean I guess looking at it, um, like thinking about if I had a scrap frame, I guess one thing to keep in mind is, it's not like someone would have to take that whole frame and ship it intact. Like they could cut up in pieces and then, you know, fit it in like a, you know, large size UPS, uh, USPS box or something.
1: You could put it into a, a one foot, well, one foot cube box and send, you can cut it up into a million pieces. It doesn't matter because the moment we get it, we're sending, it through it anyway. <laughs> We're sending it through a giant shredder anyway. So you know, keeping it in complete tact, you, you don't need to do that. It, whatever makes it as easy as possible for you to recycle, my goal with this whole entire process is simplicity. I want to make it so easy that like um, take the aerospace industry. We'll use them again for an example. I want them to take all their stuff, throw it in a box. I don't want you to sort it. I don't want you to go through it. I don't want you to make, okay, the red label goes over here, the blue label's over here, the yellow label's over here. Put it all in one box, make it simple, put a piece of tape over it, write CFR on it, and boom, done. That's how simple <laughs> we want this process to be. Because that's the only way people are going to recycle. Sure. You know, if it's if it's if it's a nuisance, they're not going to do it.
0: Right. And then you're saying that at that point they don't have to pay to have the stuff stripped to a landfill. They don't have to uh, you know, deal with the the idea that they're contributing to, to a whole bunch of waste. And then, they get, and then on the upside, from like a PR perspective, they can go ahead and tell people that they're potentially like a zero waste facility or something like that.
1: Now, when you look at some states, some states, their landfill costs are through the roof. You know, you take California, for instance. You know, California landfill, if you want to send something to the landfill, especially carbon fiber, it is so expensive. Instead of paying that fee, just recycle the thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, where do you, like best case scenario, uh, with how things look and, and everyone that you're talking to and like what whatever, kind of uh, systems you have in place and agreements and whatnot, uh, where, do, what, what does this look like in 10 years? Like, where do you go from here?
1: Um, I could probably say we'd probably have another five or so facilities up and running in the United States and, uh, and probably one or two overseas, um, probably recycling somewhere in the, in the realm of, of 20 to 30 million pounds a year. Wow. Yeah.
0: And then the the stuff that is the stuff that you're taking this, that people are taking this chopped carbon fiber and molding into different products. I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't take that and shove it back in the shredder, right?
1: We, one, it goes back into the shredder. So now don't get me wrong. You can't make it longer, you know? So once it's, it's but, um, Eventually, you can go down to a milled product. You can go down to 200 microns if you wanted to, and you can sell a milled product, which is great for electronic paneling, uh, electrically conductive, all different types of material that is, is being used in milled fiber. So the carbon fiber that we produce uh, when we recycle it, it is 100% just raw carbon fiber. There's no sizing on it. There's no there's no glues. There's nothing holding it together. So it is just the raw form. That raw form is perfect for conducting electricity. Um,
0: And I guess just as an example of that, I was just out at the the Sea Otter Classic out in Monterey. It's a big, big annual trade show. And one of the companies that I was talking to is just this lighting company called Outbound Lighting. They make, you know, big like mountain bike and now road headlamps and that sort of thing. Um, And they're actually using a a, a thermally conductive polymer for heat sinks. And I would imagine that that has some sort of, you know, chop or like, I guess... It probably
1: um, has milled carbon fiber in it. Okay. Yep. Interesting.
0: So good. Okay. Well, cool. I mean, uh, <laughs> Tim, this is super exciting. Um, I, I think I was, I think the first time I was really turned on to to, to carbon fiber recycling or just really, really the idea of it was um, at this, I guess now defunct trade show or I guess a conference that was call Cyclotech. Okay. Um, I, I can't even remember where it was now, but they had, they had only like one or two or three, maybe at most. Um, and it, it, at the time it was just sort of like this, Kind of pie in this guy thing, but it sounds like you've really kind of made it work. So I'm we, um, pretty we excited it, to see.
1: We took it from a lab. Now we we come from the garbage industry, so we come from the exact opposite side of your lab tech guy. Okay, I mean my degree is in corrections. I'm supposed to be a corrections officer. Okay? <laughs> so how does this work? But we figured out how to take and move material through instead of moving it by the pound. We looked at it. How do we move it by the ton? And that's how we design the system to be able to move the material that fast and make it so that it's cost effective. Because it's great to recycle, but if I recycle a piece of carbon fiber and I recycle one pound, and it costs hundred dollars for that one pound, no one's going to buy it. Right. If I make it, if I make it, if I make it cheap enough so that people will experiment and maybe put it into your um, your your piece of your car, then all of a sudden there's value in it. So you have to make it at a great price.
0: Got it. Well, I had to say, I certainly find value in just what you're doing in general. Uh, and like I said, I'm super excited to hear about this whole thing and that, that that it's happening in general and that it's continuing to do well. Uh, and you know, I I would love to see this just kind of be a a normal thing. And you know, who knows? You know, ten years from now, maybe there'll be like a a, a recycling bin that says C F R on it or something in my local bike shop, and you know, dump my my broken stuff in there.
1: That would be awesome because. Um, Every piece that we save from going into the landfill is just one less piece that's going to be coming out in time. So I'm all for it.
0: Awesome. Sounds good, Tim. Well, uh, I'll check in with you in 10 years' time. We'll see where this goes. Yeah,
1: you got it, man. Listen, I, I greatly appreciate uh, you having me on today. and this was a lot of fun. Cool.
0: Thanks, Tim. All right. So what do we think? Does what CFR is doing still sound too good to be true? Well, maybe, but maybe not. I'm certainly hoping for the latter because for as amazing a material as carbon fiber is in terms of its performance properties, it'd be really nice to close that life cycle loop. As it stands currently, there's almost 70,000 metric tons of carbon fiber that ends up in the landfill every year and maybe, just maybe, it doesn't have to be that way. Well, that's all we've got for today's episode of Nerd Alert. Thanks for listening as always. If you enjoyed today's show and you've got a spare moment, please consider leaving us a rating or review on iTunes as it really does help us out. And it'd also be great if you told your buddies about Nerd Alert, because we love having more nerds join in on the fun. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, please head over to cyclingtips.com and find the associated written article for this episode and type away, and we'll do our best to get back to you as soon as possible. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week.